Good morning. Good to see all of you today, sharing the Word of God together. If you will please turn to Matthew 14, 1 through 12. Um, This is a uh, difficult passage to preach. Maybe it's a difficult one to hear, but I know God's going to use it. Jason, um, when I told him I would preach, said, you know, you can do something else if you want to. And I I said, no, no, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, do this ahead. Uh, (laughs) So, got that? Okay. All right. (laughs) So this is about the beheading of John the Baptist. And... um, Last week in Matthew 13, 53 through 58, Jason preached about the gospel and our expectations. Uh, He talked about how being a Christian is not all easy, but it's certainly the best way. Um, Talked in particular about how we should live for Christ without compromising, all right, and um, We've probably all been there. We've all had these times where we wanted to compromise. Um, I have, you know. um, I think this is something we're all challenged with, just as John the Baptist was. And most of all, you know, Jesus, you know, he was God. He's also very human. He was tempted. He suffered. He went through all that for us. And... um, Today, God's word speaks to us about not compromising, even in times of really severe trial and temptation, suffering, even persecution. We all, you know, have suffered. We all have trials in some ways. We're all tempted. It's not unique to any of us. But um, God's word today shows us the way through. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist, and he has risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to them, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias came and the daughter of The daughter of Herodias came and danced before them and pleased Herod. Thereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. 
and his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you will use me as your instrument. May your word speak through me, not my words, but yours. May your truth plant itself deeply in our hearts that we may grow in holiness and your love and grace and your blessings that any today who may not know you as Lord and Savior may find this to be the day of salvation. Use your word. We know it will not return void. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the big point here is that as Christians, we are to respond to Christ by dying to sin and living to him. As Christians, we are to respond to Christ by dying to sin and living for him. We're also going to take a little time to consider the response of unbelievers to Christ, um, which there are many. If you'll uh, turn to Matthew 16, um, verses 13 through 16, probably a page or two over for you. Um, I think it's important to consider the response of unbelievers because we need to know what to do and how to share the gospel knowing those different responses, the way people think about Jesus. So Matthew 16, 13 through 16 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do you say, or who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now since Jesus came, people have responded to him in many different ways. They have said and believed many different things about him. Most of them are wrong, uh, whether out of ignorance or deliberately out of malice trying to water down or destroy the truth of the gospel when Jesus asked who people said that he was the disciples answer fell to one of the prophets you know Elijah Jeremiah uh, John the Baptist so I think the reason why they gave that particular kind of response was because they were in a time when there's a there was a lot of expectation about the coming of the of of the Christ, the Messiah. John the Baptist had been out there preaching, you know, he was the forerunner, make make way for the Lord, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and 
people were looking for someone, were looking for a Messiah, and they figured, well, this guy is going to be a prophet. Now, of course, Jesus was a prophet, is a prophet, but yet much more, much more than that. And that's what most people didn't get. You know, a lot of people were willing to say, well, he's some kind of prophet, okay? Um, some kind of good teacher, some kind of good person. But to say he was the son of God, to say that he was the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he was the Savior, most people just didn't get there. Just didn't get there. And it's no different today. It's no different today, is it? If you look at Herod, for example, he believed that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead because he had beheaded John. So he believed Jesus was John the Baptist risen and performing miracles. Well, if you look at the scripture, John the Baptist performed no miracles. Okay? He simply proclaimed the word of God. He performed no miracles. So what are some of the things that people say and believe about Jesus today? There's about as many things as there are people, it seems like. Everybody's got their own little twist on who Jesus is and what to believe about him or what not to believe about him. You know, some people say he never existed or he existed, but he was just an ordinary man. He existed, but he didn't do the things that the Bible says he did. Um... He existed, but didn't really matter. He was some kind of a magician who tricked people. Back in those times, there were magicians, you know, going around looking as though they were performing miracles, but really it was illusion. It was smoke and mirrors. If any of you have seen magicians today or someone do magic tricks, you know, you know what I'm talking about, you know. You look at that and say, wow, it really looks like that guy just vanished in thin air. Of course he didn't, you know. But some people back in ancient times, and often by satanic power, were able to trick people in that way. And some of those would claim to be the Messiah. You know, and that's what some people thought Jesus was. Always just some guy that's really good with the magic arts and everything. You know, some people see Jesus that way today. You know, well, he, he was a magician. He performed some neat tricks. He tricked people. You know, but that's about it. He didn't perform miracles. Some people say, well, he's, he was just a good teacher. Some might go so far as to say as he was a prophet. Do you know that Muslims say that Jesus was a prophet? right in their book, the Koran. Jesus was a prophet. Even concedes that he performed some miracles, but obviously comes way short of saying that Jesus was God. Um, I find it interesting how people say Jesus was a good teacher, and yet they don't believe that he did the things the Bible says he did. Well, then he wasn't a good teacher. He was a liar, right? <laughs> if that's the case, which of course it's not. But people, 
believe the most illogical things about Jesus. You know, they, they believe he didn't really die, it just seemed like he died. Well, the guy was beaten almost to death before he even got on the cross. He hung on a cross, he had a spear jabbed into his side, right through his heart. How could he not have been dead? Or Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Might believe the story, oh, like, like the guards said, you know, the, all the guards fell asleep and Jesus just, you know, wasn't really dead and he just got up and walked out of the tomb. What's well, ridiculous? The tomb was sealed. <laughs> there were several Roman guards there. Roman guards were executed. They were beheaded for falling asleep on the job. It's an absurd story. It makes no sense. You know, and yet that's what a lot of people believe. They believe he didn't really rise from the dead. People hold on to the biggest lies in order to avoid the truth. They hold on to complete nonsense to avoid what, what seems like an obvious truth. And yet we were all in that place once. We were all in that place. I was in that place. And why, why do people do that? People do that because if they believe Jesus is who he said he is and did the things he said he did, that means he's God. And if he's God, then that means I'm not God. That means... I don't have to answer only to myself. I have to answer to God, too. I'm accountable to him because he's God, and he's all-powerful, and he created me, and he created everything, and he owns me. He's Lord. People don't want to admit that, and you'll find that to be very, very true today. You know, Americans want to be rugged individuals, they want to run their own lives. They don't want to answer to anybody about anything. We talked about this in Sunday school today, gentlemen. Um, everybody's got their own truth, and my truth is right. You know, your truth may be right too, unless I don't agree with it, then it's not. You know, so they're not consistent. They say, well, everybody has their own truth, but yet it's really my truth that's the one that matters. And my truth might change tomorrow or next week, and it'll still be the truth. That's the way people think now. It's called moral relativism. It's called postmodernism, this, this relativistic attitude that everybody's got their own truth, but really, my, mine's the big one. Mine's the important one. I'm the important one here. I'm God. You know, that's, that's the way people operate. And... The problem with that is they remain dead in their sins. They remain accountable to God, and they're going to be judged, and they're going to go to hell if they don't repent and believe. Simple as that. There's no other way around it. But even more, they miss the promised blessings of this life. All that God wants to do for them in this life and all that he wants to do for them perfectly in eternity. 
they miss it all. They miss life. They miss everything. They miss the best because they want to hold on to doing something that they can never do, and that's being their own God. If you ever tried being your own God, stop and think back when you weren't a Christian. I did. It's a good thing I'm not God. We'd all be in big trouble. Everybody say, yeah, that's true. That's true. It is true. It is true. <laughs> I tried it. It does not work. All right? All I did was mess things up more and more and more until finally God got a hold of me and said, look, buddy, you're not God. I am. And I repented, and I gave my life to Christ. That is where the blessings come. That's where the eternal life, the abundant life, Jesus calls it, comes in. So either what Jesus said was all true, or if it wasn't, it could just as easily be that none of it was true. And yet, do you know that the Bible, which a lot of people say, you know, well, there's not enough evidence for it, has enough early copies and manuscript evidence far more than any other historical book. Some historical books that we take for granted as being historical have only a couple of valid copies. And yet we don't say, well, that's, that's not a real book. But people say it with the Bible because, again, they don't want to answer to God. Every single word from Genesis to Revelation is the word of God, all of it's true all things are coming to pass god will do all things well just as he promises i think the evidence of the word of god the evidence of all the millions of lives who have been transformed over the last over 2000 years now the worst of sinners like paul you know becoming strong christians and advocates for the faith I think all the work we've seen God do in our lives and in the lives of others through the years, all the people that have given their lives for Christ, who have given their all for Christ, I think that tells us what the Bible says is true. And there is a God, and he is alive, and he is at work, and it's a truth that we can completely count on. Now, most of us are not going to be beheaded because of our belief in Christ like John the Baptist was, or like many persecuted Christians around the world ever since the apostles and right on up to today who are being killed for their faith, being jailed for their faith, um, being beaten for their faith. It's, there's a good chance none of that is ever going to happen to any of us. Okay, but we are still called to die to Christ and to live for Christ in spirit. See, Peter and all true, the apostles and all true disciples ever since have gotten it right. That's what makes us disciples. The confession that he is the Christ, 
the son of the living God. He is God. That's what makes the difference. Now, if you'll flip back a few pages, we're going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and talk about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist had it right, too. All right? Yeah. John the Baptist had it right. He had his doubts and his struggles, just like all of us. But John the Baptist knew. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the truth. And he held to that truth to the end. Matthew 11, 1 through 6 says this. And it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word to his disciples, by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said, Go to them and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. So John the Baptist had it right. Now you read that passage that we just read, and you wonder, because he had his doubts. His faith seemed weak. But remember, he was in prison at this time. I wonder what my faith would be like. Maybe you wonder what your faith would be like. If you were in prison, or even more, if you were in prison and knew you were going to be executed. John knew it was coming. He just didn't know when, but he knew it was going to happen. Herod was just waiting for the right opportunity. Um, so, yeah, you know, he knew he was going to be executed soon, and sure enough, he was. You know, the only thing that held things back to this point was Herod was afraid of the people because... They all held him to be a prophet. And Herod was a rather paranoid fellow, and he was worried about his position anyway. And his position, if you read history, was rather tenuous at best. And he didn't want to make any mistakes. You know, so he didn't want an uprising by the people that would bring about questions in Rome. Well, maybe this guy can't control this area. Maybe we should get someone else instead. So he didn't execute John at that point. But John was still executed because of Herodias's wife, or Herod's wife Herodias hated John because he told Herod that he shouldn't be with his brother's wife, his brother Philip's wife. Herodias had been the wife of his brother Philip, now she was with Herod. That was adultery. John the Baptist called him out on that. And sooner or later, Herodias was going to make sure he died. And the opportunity came when they were at the, um, having a birthday party for Herod, big bash, and 
Herodias' daughter danced and pleased Herod, and he made a foolish vow and said, I'll give you whatever you want. So the mother says, ask for John's head right now on a platter. So that's what she asked for. Now Herod's on the spot. He really doesn't want to execute John yet, but he's made this vow. He's got all these people around that heard it, all these dinner guests. The peer pressure is on, and so he compromises and has John beheaded. But if you go back to Matthew 11, we know that before John died, Jesus encouraged him by having John's messengers go back and report the miracles that Jesus was doing. And that gave Jesus, that gave John the strength not to stumble, but to keep believing, and John did believe to the end. He was so uncompromising in his belief that he was willing to call Herod the king out for his sin, and he was murdered. Now, later in chapter 11, John call, Jesus calls John the greatest among men, his prophet, his forerunner. John had the faith to hold fast what he believed, his belief in Jesus. He died for it. And he encourages everybody to die for him. Now, we may not be talking about literally, physically, but we're talking about a spiritual death. Many years ago, there was a gangster safecracker named Jim Voss who became a Christian. When he got out of prison, the gang contacted him and insisted that he pull a job for them. Voss replied that he was a Christian and no longer did such things. Jim, they said, if you don't crack the safe, we're going to kill you. And he said, you can't kill Jim Voss. Jim Voss died last week. That's us. We died to Christ. We died to our sin. We give up our lives for Christ, just as Christ gave up his life for us. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus tells the disciples, do not fear only those who can destroy the body, but destroy but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. He has all power and control. Fear him. Reverence him. Honor him. Give him the glory. And we all fear people in some ways. We fear what people are going to think. We fear what people are going to do. I understand that. I, I, I'm there too. I'm there too. But fear, Je don't fear Jesus, fear God. Don't fear people. They can only do so much. And God holds them accountable too. Now probably none of us are going to be beheaded or murdered for following Christ. But we are all called to die for Christ. We're all called to live for Christ. But first we've got to die. 
We've got to die to our sin so that we can live for Christ without compromise. We're called to repent of our own sin and we're called to call out the sin in others. Not condemning people. Oh, you rotten sinner, you. You're going to hell. But in the sense that we tell them that they're sinners. All are sinners. And everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Christ. We need to call people to repentance and trust in Christ. And we need to let people know that if you're going to live for Christ, you've got to die first. You've got to give up your sin. That doesn't mean we don't sin after we're Christians. We do, and we need to keep repenting. It's a process. It's a process of growing in holiness, of dying to sin and living for Christ. Luke says in um, in 9.23, we are all to die to our sin and ourselves. We're all to die for Christ and live for him. We are to deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow him. When John was in fear and in doubt, Jesus reminded him through messengers of the truth about himself, that he was the Christ. We have doubts and fears like John the Baptist. We struggle with problems, temptations, trials, sickness, soreness, weariness. But through all of it, Jesus assures us of who he is, that he is Lord and Savior, that he is a loving God. He speaks peace and hope and encourages us to rest in him, trust in him. He also tells us to tell this truth about Jesus to others. People who have heard heard and believed so many lies who are dying in their unbelief, who are dying in their lies. We need to go and tell others of the love and grace of Jesus, that his peace and hope and rest are for them too, if they would just repent and believe, if they would just confess him and call upon his name. For as Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus loves us so much he died for us. He rose from the dead. He is Lord and Savior forever. He calls us to die to self that we may truly live for him and glorify him forever. Now we're going to have a time of response for you to respond to God's word as he leads you, as the Spirit speaks to you. Listen, have ears to hear. If you're a Christian and you're doubting your salvation this morning, if you're struggling with doubts and fears over your sins and your struggles, pray and allow God to give you his peace. Allow him to give you rest. He understands your struggles. He understands your weakness. He understands suffering. And he's right here with us. He's the one who's able to help us because he's been through far more than we could ever go through. He did it for us.
He loves us. So if you need to come forward during the time of response and pray, I'll be glad to pray with you. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're believing lies, if you're running from the truth, know that God loves you too. God wants you to have his rest, his peace, his hope, his joy, his blessings. So I urge you this morning to pray, turn away from your sins, repent, turn to God for salvation. I'll be glad to talk with you as well and pray with you about becoming a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'll be down here in the front if you want to come forward. Um, please be open and respond to Christ as you need to this morning.